Good morning. Welcome to worship at Calvary. My name is Guilherme Almeida. I'm on staff here. And if you're a guest among us, we would love to learn more about you, about your family, about your prayer needs. And one way to respond to that is to fill out a white uh, welcome card that is in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, when the offertory plate comes by, please drop that off. We would lo love to know you more through that. Um, if you're not a guest, that's also another way for you to respond with prayer requests and things that we should be ministering to you. So please take, take advantage of that. Today, we begin our season of Lent. During this first Sunday of Lent, we will begin the journey of preparation for the fullness of Christian life, the sacrifices, the trials and temptations, but we also look forward to the celebration of Easter and Resurrection Sunday. During this season, we will reflect on the power our fears have to inform and control our journeys. We will seek to understand how we relate to those feelings and how we welcome, or not, God's guidance. Today, our worship will challenge us to trust God evermore as we take these first Lenten steps. And today, I think of the news. I think of things that are going on in my life. And I welcome you to bring that into worship, to bring that as an offering to God. As we struggle today to discern the bread from the stones, to discern the truth from the fiction, to discern God's word from the lies. Today we struggle to discern from the difference between trusting God and testing God, following God's word and manipulating it, trusting God's ways or trusting our ways. We wrestle today to resist the temptation to worship the wrong things to see through the distractions that confound and confuse us. Today, we seek to overcome the fears that distract us and depress us. Friends, all of that is welcome in worship. Let us worship the Lord.
Let us pray. O Lord, we confess that we are people of fear and worry. We confess our sin of trying to control our situations and succumbing to anxiety as we realize that we cannot. We confess that although we have seen and known your faithfulness to all generations, we repeat the cycles of control and fear over and over again. We proclaim in faith that you, our God, are a God of power who intercedes on our behalf, sometimes in ways that are seen and other times in ways that are unseen. Give us faith to trust your unseen and unknown ways that we may proclaim with all generations that your love is great above the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. It's through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near, and I will fear no evil, for my God is with My God is with me. Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go in every high and every low. Oh no, you never let go. No, you never let go of me. Glorious light we all know compare And there will be an end to the troubles But until that day comes We'll live to know you're here on this earth And I will fear no evil 
children to come to the front for a quick word. Good morning. Hello. Hello. How are you guys this morning? Good. Good. Okay, I have a quick question. So have any of you guys been baptized? Okay, so this is for you three who have been baptized. Do you remember what you did after your baptism? Like immediately after your baptism? What'd you do? Okay, yeah, so right? So maybe even after this baptism service, like did you and your family do anything? Did you go eat lunch? Ate lunch? Well, you always go eat lunch on Sundays, obviously. Yes. What did you do? I changed You changed? Yes, definitely. We got baptized together. You got baptized together, yeah. So you changed probably too. Yep. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a story this morning, and I'm going to read it um, about what Jesus did after he was baptized, okay? Oh. Ooh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so here, I'm going to hop up so all of you guys can see. So you just stay right there. There you go. Okay. So after Jesus was baptized, he went straight out into the desert. That might seem like an odd place to go because, as you know, deserts are really hot and there's no water and there's no food and there's no place to stay. Somewhere to dry off. He probably, it was probably really warm, so it probably just took all the water off. Yep. Um, so, but Jesus needed to go get away by himself and be somewhere quiet and lonely. Do you guys ever like to be somewhere quiet by yourself? Yes. yes. Um, so in the jet desert, Jesus thought about the secret rescue plan he had made with God. Before the foundation of the world, they both knew what would have to happen. To rescue God's children, Jesus would have to die. There was no other way, and it was the reason that he had come. Now, that old enemy, the one who had spoken through the snake to Adam and Eve back in the garden, remember him? Can you guys guess what enemy this is? Yes. He's on the page. It's the snake. Good. So, remember that snake back in the garden? He did not want Jesus to rescue God's people. So he lied to Jesus. He said, are you really God's own son? Poor you. God must not love you. You don't need to die. Do it my way. And Jesus said, no. Jesus said, I will do what God says. And from that moment on, nothing would ever be the same. Jesus wasn't like Adam. Jesus was a new kind of man. He would not believe the terrible lie that the enemy spoke, and Jesus knew that God loved him. And Jesus would trust God no matter what. It was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do the battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears. And he would suffer, but he would win. So in this story, we just heard, Jesus really trusts God. And even though Jesus is really scared, maybe, he still trusts God and does what God tells him to do. Um, do you think it's always easy for us to trust God? No. No? What are some things that you were kind of afraid of or maybe don't always know what to do? When bad things happen? When bad things happen, yeah. Are any of you guys scared? I'm really freaked out when it's nighttime and the lights are off and I'm in my room by myself. It's kind of freaky. Yeah. I don't think it's freaky. I like it. You like the dark, see? You like to be by yourself, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so when things are hard, we always have to remember that God trusts us, or that we can trust God and that God loves us. And that's what Jesus is telling us through this story. So let's pray together as we pray that we can always trust in God and always remember that God loves us. So let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for this time this morning with our friends to learn more about you and learn more about your son, Jesus, as we prepare for Easter. We're grateful for the love that you show us, and we're so glad that we can trust in you always. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can head back to your seats.
afraid. My love is stronger. My love is stronger than your fear. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger and I have promised, promised to be always me. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger is stronger than your fear. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger and I have promised, promised to be always me. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger. is a season that has never held a great deal of importance or meaning to me. This year, however, it feels different. Aside from giving up pizza for six weeks in an attempt to be slightly healthier, I've chosen to fast from something that is much more significant and that has more or less run my life for the better part of the last six years. Every morning, I've been praying this prayer. From fear, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of my past, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of speaking my mind, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of sharing my truth, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being misunderstood, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being rejected, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being a failure, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being lonely, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being dedicated to you, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being spoken ill of, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being judged, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of not being perfect, deliver me, Lord. From the fear of being unworthy of your love, deliver me, Lord. Every day during this Lenten season, I am making a conscious choice to fast from letting fear and shame control my life. Rather, I'm making a daily choice to face my fears and work through them. Some days are much more successful than others, but I'm learning that this life is an imperfect journey and a beautiful but sometimes very painful process. I grew up in a really wonderful home. My parents were loving, supportive, and affirming of all my endeavors, and we enjoyed a strong community of faith in the very traditional Southern Baptist Church we attended. 
I grew up going to church every Sunday and Wednesday night. I sang in the church choir, and I was an active member in the youth group. Most of my social life revolved around the things that were happening at church. When I was 17 years old, I met a young man there, and we began dating. Eventually, we got engaged and married. I continued in my career as a budding musician, and he as a minister in the Southern Baptist Church. Now fast forward about five years, and the unthinkable, at least in the circles that I ran in, happened. Our marriage fell apart, and we got a divorce. As you might imagine, this was met with great opposition, disbelief, and even disgust by those whom up until that point in my life had been my biggest supporters and encouragers, including some of my own family members. In the days to come, I would deal with a great deal of guilt and shame, which was only perpetuated by those who claimed to be followers of Jesus. I will never forget some of the whispers, looks, and cutting words which would so often cross my path over the next year or so. I was deeply hurt and confused that the place that had so often been peace, comfort, and love for me was now a place I dreaded and feared going near. All of the greatest fears that I had were being realized. In the weeks, months, and years to come, I dealt with these nearly crippling fears that hung over my life like a dark cloud ready to burst forth with a downpour at any given moment. As the initial shock of the divorce wore off, fear and shame continued to be the loudest voices in my life. The fear of being alone, the fear of being unloved, the fear of rejection, the fear and shame that comes with failure, the fear of being unworthy of love, the list could go on and on. Trying to deal with these fears and the shame from this traumatic event coupled with the difficulties of being a musician and trying to pursue a career in that and the insecurities and um, high expectations that come along with that made just living very difficult. I counted every day that I survived a victory. For a while, I was convinced that this is how my life was going to be. Thankfully, my journey doesn't end there. When I moved to Waco, I was on my own for the very first time in my life. I was forced to deal with and face these fears head on. But the last year and a half has been some of the hardest life I've ever lived. I've dealt with some serious rejection in my, in my professional career. My mother was diagnosed with cancer and has been undergoing treatments for that. And that's been very difficult. But it's also been some of the most beautiful parts of my life that I've lived thus far. I have had some wonderful people that God has placed in my life who have helped speak truth and light into my life. They've walked with me through some of the darkest valleys. They've held me through my tears and supported me and encouraged me to rise up. And most of all, they have shown me that despite my biggest fear, I am worthy of love and belonging. These fears certainly have not disappeared and I still deal with them every day, but they no longer have power over my life. God has shown me through others that there is great power in love, authenticity, and being vulnerable. And he honors us when we face our fears head on with his strength. He is faithful. Don't 
don't be afraid. My love is stronger. My love is stronger than your fear. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger. And I have promised, promised to be always near. reading from the book of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be, to be famished. But he answered, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, or on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God.
And now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of the hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin with a moment of vulnerability and to share with you about one of my reoccurring nightmares. In this nightmare, I step into the pulpit to preach, but I can't for the life of me remember what I was supposed to say. And panic sets in as I look down for my notes, but my notes are nowhere to be found. Or in another variation of this dream, my notes are there, but I have suddenly lost the ability to read. 
and I stammer along as best as I can, but I simply cannot make out the words on the page. It is like trying to read a foreign language. Or I'm in the church office and the printer isn't working and I'm trying every option possible that I know of, but worship has already started and everyone in the congregation is just sitting here waiting on me because it's time for the sermon. So obviously there are multiple variations of this dream, but I think you probably get the idea. I know lots of students who have the reoccurring dream that it's the day of the final exam and they're not at all prepared for the test. And I guess this is the preacher's version of that dream. Now granted, losing the ability to read is, is probably a little far-fetched, I would hope. But the thing is, the other parts of that dream are, are somewhat realistic. I could legitimately lose my notes, and printers are definitely known for breaking down at the most inopportune times. But the truth behind these crazy dreams is that I actually do begin to experience a mild level of panic on the weeks when I'm preaching. If by Thursday, at the end of the day, I don't have a good grasp on where the sermon is going. <laughs> Which is what happened this week when I found myself staring at the blank computer screen at the end of the day on Thursday. Because Sunday is coming and I am going to be expected to step into this pulpit and to attempt to deliver a meaningful word for the people of God. But what happens if that word doesn't come by Sunday morning? What, what am I going to say then? These are the moments when the dream hits just a little too close to home for me. You see, if I'm not careful, I can be tempted to believe that this whole preaching thing is dependent on me and my gifts and my abilities to write and to deliver a word for the people of God. Yet each and every time I preach, without one single exception, a word always comes from somewhere other than myself. An idea about the text I had never considered before, a question I had never asked before, Sometimes the words just jump off the page. Sometimes I see them play out in the word, world around me. Sometimes they pop into my head while I'm on a walk or falling asleep at night or driving my car and I literally have to stop what I'm doing and write them down because I know these words aren't mine. But the important thing is that God always provides a word like blue bonnets that bloom in the early spring or fireflies that show up on those first nights of summer, the word always comes. And yet, I'm tempted to believe that it won't, that God won't show up this time, that I'm gonna have to figure this thing out all on my own. I'm tempted to mistrust God, to forget that the God who calls us is faithful and he will do it as we were reminded in the benediction on Ash Wednesday. Of course, the reality is that this temptation to mistrust God doesn't just happen to me on the weeks when I'm preaching. It happens on the other weeks, too. And it doesn't just happen on a weekly basis. It happens daily, sometimes by the hour, sometimes moment by moment. And I would imagine that in many varied ways, each of us faces the same temptation too. Even Jesus encountered this temptation in the wilderness. 
Today's text is a passage that Christians all around the world are reading together on this first Sunday of Lent. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 begins with this statement, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And before we get any further into the story, I want to stop here for just a moment. Because according to Matthew, the same spirit that descended upon Jesus like a dove at his baptism is now leading him to be tempted by the devil. The same spirit that was there for that beautiful moment when Jesus is called out as God's beloved with whom God is well pleased is now leading him into the wilderness. It's not like Jesus just happens upon this experience in Matthew. The spirit seems to be setting him up for a confrontation. But why? Parker Palmer says this. He says, The temptation story makes it clear that God's spirit is not safe but dangerous. And that those who act on the spirit's urging will sometimes find themselves hungry or thirsty or filled with fear. It's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for Calvary, isn't it? That sometimes the very fears that try to keep us anxious and overwhelmed could actually be evidence that God's spirit is alive and at work within us. And it's in this wilderness moment, a moment of hunger and thirst and perhaps even fear, where we find Jesus today. He has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he's famished when the devil comes to him. Now, first, the devil tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread to prove that he really is the Son of God. And next, to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple to prove that God could really step in and save him. And finally, Jesus is tempted to receive all the kingdoms of the world in all of their splendor, if only he will fall down and worship the devil. But each time, Jesus resists temptation. He doesn't have to turn a stone into bread because even after 40 days of fasting, he trusts that God will provide for everything he needs. I don't know that I would do that after one day, maybe even half a day. And he doesn't need to put God to the test by jumping off a tower because he fully believes in God's power without needing to test it out. And he doesn't want all the glory and glitz of all the kingdoms of this world Because for him, the kingdom of God is enough. Now, you and I have probably never been placed upon a high tower and asked to throw ourselves down so that God will save us. Has anybody ever been asked that? I didn't think so. So upon a first reading of this, we we may not think that these temptations really resonate with our experiences today. But I believe that the underlying temptation within all of these stories is one that you and I face on a daily basis. And that is the temptation to treat God as anything less than God. Douglas Hare says, we may not be tempted to turn stones into bread, but we are constantly tempted to mistrust God's readiness to empower us in whatever trials we may face. And isn't that so true? Like the Israelites, we often make our way through the wilderness a little differently than Jesus does in this text. We grumble and we complain when it seems as if God is not going to provide 
failing to see the manna that is scattered all around us. And like the Israelites, we do find ourselves tempted by other kingdoms and other gods, lots of them, like greed or success, popularity, busyness, pride, or you fill in the blank. You may be familiar with the, the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And it's written as a series of letters from a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood, a younger and less experienced demon. Now, Wormwood has been instructed to guide a young man, whom he calls the patient, or sometimes the creature, away from the enemy, who we would know as God. And I'd love to read you an excerpt from this book today. It's a bit long, but it's so good. And I think it offers an important perspective on temptation that is really key to our conversation. Begins, my dear Wormwood, you must have often wondered why the enemy, and remember, the enemy is God, you must have wondered why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a human will would for him be useless. The enemy cannot ravish, he can only woo. He is prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which though faint seem great to them, with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation. But he never allows this state of affairs to last very long. Sooner or later, he withdraws, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. We can drag our patience along by continual tempting, but he cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and therefore takes away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. Friends, when you and I look around upon a universe from which all of the easily identifiable traces of God seem to have vanished, it is so tempting to lose our trust that God will still provide. And so more often than not, we lose trust that the words will come. We lose trust that the money will come. 
We lose trust that the job will come. We lose trust that the right person will come. We lose trust that the strength will come. We lose trust that the healing will come. We lose trust that our way will come to be made clear because far too often we simply lose trust that God will make a way. But our cause is never more imperative than when all visible evidence points toward the contrary, yet we choose to trust God anyway. And it's true, God's provision may not look at all like what we had in mind. The words may not come on our timeline. The money may come from completely unexpected people and places. The job may not be part of what was our master plan. The person may not be at all who we were expecting. The strength may spring up from a place that is planted so deeply within us that we didn't even know it existed. And the healing may come in a completely different form than what we had envisioned. But friends, even when we are in the depths of our wilderness, Jesus reminds us that our good God will provide. Our God will make a way even when there seems to be no way. And the God who calls us is faithful and he will do it. Yes, the journey may be hard. It may be painful. It may be scary. In fact, I would venture to guess that it probably will be, at least some of the time. But friends, the wilderness is part of our story. It's part of Jesus' story, and it's where the Spirit leads us if we are brave enough to follow along. You know, ultimately, I think Dear Uncle Screwtape actually gives us a perfect description of the season of Lent. A season when we might purposefully plunge ourselves into the wilderness. A season when we might be hungry or thirsty or even filled with fear. A season when we look around upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished, yet we choose to trust God anyway. Sometimes daily, sometimes by the hour, and sometimes moment by moment. And so perhaps the question to ask ourselves is this, in what ways are you and I being tempted to mistrust God? In what ways is Calvary being tempted to mistrust God? And what would it look like for us to choose to trust in God anyway? In the end, Barbara Brown Taylor says that it would be a mistake to describe someone else's wilderness exam for them. In other words, it would be a mistake for me to name what might tempt you to mistrust God. She says only you can do that because only you know what devils have your number and what kinds of bribes they use to get you to pick up. All I know for sure, she says, is that a voluntary trip to the desert this Lent is a great way to practice getting free of those devils for life. Not only because it is where you lose your appetite for the things that cannot save you, but also because it is where you learn to trust the spirit that led you there to lead you out again, ready to worship the Lord your God and serve no other all the days of your life.
And so, God, I ask that you would place on our minds and on our hearts and on our souls the ways in which we fall short of trusting you to be God. God, we confess the ways that we, we don't trust you. We don't trust you with our time. We don't trust you with our money. We don't trust you with our decisions. We don't trust you with our life. And so often we fall for the temptation that we're the ones in control. God, we confess that today. Help us to be people who fully and faithfully trust in you. Sometimes day by day, sometimes hour by hour, and sometimes moment by moment. And in the moments when we're afraid of what that might look like, help us to remember to not be afraid because your love is stronger. And you have promised, promised to be always near. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you've never taken that first step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. And as you've heard, each day there are new opportunities to trust in God. And so if today you want to begin that journey of walking with Jesus and trusting Jesus all the days of your life, one of the ministers will be in the back and we would love to visit with you. Or maybe you'd like to learn more about joining this community of faith at Calvary where we seek to know and to follow and to trust Jesus together. We'd love to visit with you about that too. Or maybe you'd like someone to pray with you and to talk about a way that you're struggling to trust God right now. We'd love to pray with you. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back ready to receive you and to visit with you as we continue in worship. I will trust in the Lord, I will trust in the Lord, I will trust in the Lord till I die. I will trust in the Lord, I will trust in the Lord, I will trust in the Lord till I die. Sister, will you trust in the Lord? Sister, will you trust in the Lord? Sister, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Sister, will you trust in the Lord? Sister, will you trust in the Lord? Sister, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Brother, will you trust in the Lord? Brother, will you trust in the Lord? Brother, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Brother, will you trust in the Lord? Brother, will you trust in the Lord? 
Brother, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Deacon, will you trust in the Lord? Deacon, will you trust in the Lord? Deacon, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Deacon, will you trust in the Lord? Deacon, will you trust in the Lord? Deacon, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord till you die? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord till you This morning makes almost exactly five years since I officially joined Calvary. That morning I stood right over there while you promised to be the family of God for me in this place. And I was so overcome by that promise that I just stood up here and cried at the depth of it. And over the years you have kept that promise well. The family of God in this place has shaped me much more profoundly than I could ever have anticipated. Here, in Linton foot washings and Christmas consolation, you have asked me to lean into sorrow and grief, and there to find myself leaning into a deeper understanding of the presence of God. Here in life groups and in women's retreats, I have found friendships that ask of me a vulnerability that I'd never known I was missing before, and in return, teach me the joy of being fully known and loved. Here, in services and in Sunday school, I have found a startling combination, shattering challenges to my complacent theology and self-serving habits, and it also bring comfort and acceptance of who I am and where I am, and empowering encouragement and companionship on the road to growth. For these reasons, and for the many more ways I have learned to love and be loved, it is my deep delight to give each month to support the things God is doing through my family in this place. Pray with me. Highest God, we delight in what you teach us. Comfort and presence in sorrow, acceptance and healing challenge, authentic friendship. Teach us also the joy of giving generously. Amen.
Just a few announcements as we close today. I hope you've seen our Lenten devotionals laying around. There's some in the Welcome Center. There's some in the hallway in the back. Um, these are written by over 30 different writers at Calvary. And this time we had children, youth, college students, and all ages of adults participate. And it's really thoughtful, meaningful work. And so I hope you'll take one of these home. You can also follow along online on our blog or on Facebook. Also know that there are different ways that you can give to Calvary. And Phil Sitton is going to be in the Welcome Center as you leave today. And if you would like to visit with him about a different way that you could give, I know he would love to visit with you about that. Remember also that there are no Wednesday night activities this week because spring break is here. And I hope you all have a great week, whatever you're doing, whether spring break affects your schedule or not. And last, one announcement that didn't make it in this week is that our community yard sale is coming up on April 1st. And so as you are doing spring cleaning, we would love for you to bring any donations, except for large TVs. We really love you but don't want your large TVs um, because I don't think Les Palmer and Tim Smith and a few others want to carry them all the way downstairs and upstairs and they don't sell, but we love them. Um, anything else you want to bring, clothes, gently used items, clothes on hangers would be great as well. Um, but we appreciate your donations that make that possible, that go toward our global mission trips. It's also a great day to welcome in our community, and you'll be hearing about more ways to get involved in that. So spring cleaning, let us have your donations. Hope you have a great week. Let's stand and receive this benediction. Whatever wilderness the Spirit has brought you to, May you walk in boldness as a beloved child of God. May you walk in peace under the shelter of the Most High. And may you walk in faith, knowing that Christ walks beside you and always with you. Amen.